You're listening to episode 6 of the Sovereign Sessions. Hello and welcome to the Sovereign Sessions podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Sylvia Salens, and today I am so honored and grateful and excited to bring you our guest, Julie Parker. Now, many of you I know absolutely know Julie and her work, but I am going to read um, her bio for you because I know some of you may be new to Julie. So, um, Julie Parker is the founder of the Beautiful You Coaching Academy, where she passionately trains and supports heart-centered people to become life coaches. The editor-in-chief of Inspired Coach magazine, a published author and in-demand speaker, Julie has inspired thousands of people on stages all over the world, and she is the recipient of numerous leadership and women's business awards. Julie is also the co-founder of Priestess Temple School and the host of the Top Ranking Priestess podcast. A modern day priestess with a focus on her Celtic, Balkan, Iberian and Greek lineage, Julie is committed to contributing to a world where qualities of intuition, presence, social justice and service are honoured. Julie lives in Melbourne with her husband, stepdaughter and two much-loved adopted cats. So Julie, um, I absolutely love reading your bio, especially what we're going to be focusing on today, which is priestess, your priestessing work. And um, the words like presence and service and so social justice, all of that really deeply resonates, um, not just with me, but also to many of the people who will be listening us, to us today. So I'm really excited to dive into this um, conversation, but I would love to ask you first to just open the space for us. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for the invitation to be here and for reading out my bio. It's, it's a real honour. So for everyone listening, may I ask you just to gently close down your eyes and with your hand over your heart space, take a big, deep cleansing breath in and out and in. and out and as you come fully into this space to be present may we honor the great mother and all of her divine gifts for allowing us this space to be here traveling across space and time over many many moons and lands and waters and seas to be here in connection with each other from all over the globe we thank you for the gift of sisterhood connection healing intuition, presence and justice for all as we come together in deep conversation, listening, learning, loving and opening our hearts together. And so it is. Thank you, Kathleen. Yes, thank you. So what I would like to start with um, is the energy of the priestess. 
because I have been talking with quite a few women recently, um, specifically about that, that word priestess and the energy that it carries. And I've noticed that there's quite a lot of people who have very different um, interpretations of that and experience of that within their own lives. So I want to ask you as our opening question, what is it about the word priestess and the energy of the priestess that so deeply speaks to you? Well, it's very multi-layered for me, Kathleen. Uh, when I hear you ask the question of what the energy of the priestess means to me, I feel as though that is somewhat different to what she means or what priestess means in entirety. So when I think about what a priestess is in her entirety, to me, she is a sacred spiritual leader. That's what a priestess is to me. She's a modern sacred spiritual leader. Just as in ancient times, she was an ancient sacred spiritual leader. And the way that we may priestess in the world today can look very different to what it did in ancient times, but the heart and essence of it to me is very much the same. When I think about the energy of the priestess, however, what I think about is in fact stillness. And to me, the energy, the great distilled energy of a priestess is stillness. Because it's in stillness and silence and quiet moments that a priestess is able to tune into her deepest wisdom, her highest intuition, and the, the most both light and dark parts of her soul essence. And when she's able to do that and connect in with herself in a deeply inner guiding way, that then allows her to be able to create conditions of transmutation and alchemy for others around her. And ultimately, in the end, that is the actual great work of the priestess, which is another step further along. It is about creating containers and holding space for others to be able to see their own divinity through that sacred leadership. But the energy that allows her to get there is one of stillness and depth and focus. Mm. So it seems to me like you talk very much specifically about sacred leadership. So the priestess to you definitely has that um, presence, which means that she doesn't just stand within herself, but she actually stands before a community and she calls them up. Is that, is that, some, is that kind of similar to what you mean by leadership? Well, it can be, but I think that leadership is something that so many of us, and very understandably so, look at through a very patriarchal lens. You know, we have been conditioned to think that leadership is always about the person who is out the front, is always about the person that is speaking to groups of people or big crowds. They're often uh, deemed very extroverted, very confident. And that's not what sacred leadership is. You know, sacred leaders come in many forms and 
have many different energies and ways. They might be quite introverted and quiet and gentle. And their way of leading might actually not be from out the front. It may be from the side or it may even be from behind. But the thing that makes a sacred leader a leader, the thing that makes a priestess a priestess is about the, the heart and the soul and essence that they put into that leadership. It involves things which is not necessarily what traditional or patriarchal forms of leadership involve. Thinking about things such as how do my decisions impact everyone and everything around me? Is this just for my benefit or the benefit only of those people that I like? or that I deem worthy to call towards me? Or is it for the benefit of all people and our great mother earth? Sacred leaders, when they make decisions, do so thinking about how equitable their decision-making is and how can it uplift and inspire all people. It's about a much wider perspective on how we can lead for the benefit of all rather than just leading potentially for our own gain, even in, for example, if we have businesses. It's about thinking about legacy. It's about thinking about um, how we are creating or inspiring other leaders while we too are leading as well. Yeah. So um, one word within that that really also stands out to me is this component of what you call so social justice. What exactly does that mean for you within the context specifically of the priestess? Mm. Well, social justice and spirituality to me are deeply intertwined. Even though I appreciate, um, well, not so much, I shouldn't say appreciate, actually, if I'm being really honest, Kathleen, even though I know for some people they seem to be quite separate things. But one of the things that I think that we have fallen into a space of, at least some people have, is believing that our spiritual paths should be all about love and light and shiningness and and forgiveness and you know just being in those spaces that feel good and feel delicious and where there is love and connection and everything feels wonderful and of course we all desire to have those feelings and have those connections and be in those spaces but the fact of the matter is is that that is not the lived everyday experience for all of us particularly those people who have a marginalized identity if they may be black brown indigenous or a person of color if they may be living with a disability of some kind um, if they're a member of the lgbtqia um, community and they're not carrying um, or not living with a, a more a, extensive set of privileges that other white able-bodied heterosexual and many other things that we may carry as human beings are experiencing and living with the privileges of that every day and so if we are as priestesses to be true spiritual warriors as our sisters in ancient times were then 
our spiritual paths must involve looking at issues of social justice in the world today and how it is that we can unpack our own privilege, how it is that we can become actively anti-racist, how it is that we can consciously work towards creating a better world and a more just world for everybody, um, not just ourselves and not just those people who are having the same or a similar lived experience to us. I actually really um, love your angle on that, the intersection between spirituality and social justice. And specifically the way that it is almost embodied, I would say, within the priestess and the vision that she has walking forward. Um, one of the things that I find within my own work on the priestess is that she is like so deeply present within what you could call the whole moistness of life, which is everything that comes with life, not just the pretty things or not just um, <clears throat> the way that things look, right? One of the things that I um, have noticed in the past and that at first got me sidetracked as well when I started exploring this energy of the priestess and what it looks like to, to walk that path of the priestess. Um, one of the things that really got me sidetracked at first was um, this idea that the priestess is the way that something looks and the way that it is um, focused, as you say, on just bringing the light and bringing the light and bringing the love. Whereas when I went deeper on my own path and guided by my own um, like support team, spiritual support team, they kept kind of course correcting me on my path and saying like, you're actually missing the depth of what it is because the priestess is very much embodied in life. And so um, she is someone who stands for something that she believes in. And that I think is where um, this idea of social justice actually really does meet spirituality because the priestess is in part, um, comes from this very rich kind of inner wisdom and connectedness to everything. But then at the same time, she also really lives in the world. And so she also really looks at what happens in the world. And then she chooses um, a certain way of engaging with what she sees and also just standing for something. And so that is something that I find really interesting also in the way that you speak about spirituality and then specifically the priestessing path with this very clear focus, like it is intuition and it is presence, but it's also about social justice. Mm. So thank you for clarifying that. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's certainly my perspective. It's not necessarily one that I know everybody um, agrees with. And of course we can't have agreement all the time, but I have a pretty firm line about this one. And I think that you, you likely know that about me, Kathleen, as someone who's connected with me online, is that to me, um, if you're, you're claiming a path and following a path um, as a priestess in life, and you are not um, actively looking at 
all of those things that I was talking about before and looking at, you know, your own righteous anger and uprising and, and making this world a better place, more safe, more equitable, more diverse, more inclusive um, for others, then to me, you're spiritually bypassing. It means that you are failing to see the lived experiences of all human beings. Now, of course, we're not here to save people. We're, we're most definitely not here to do that. And we cannot help and support everyone. The path to truly being able to help heal us as a collective begins with healing ourselves first and doing the inner work. But essentially, I'm pretty firm about it. It's like if you don't see that as part of the priestess path, I believe that you're in the dark in some way and or refusing to look at that darkness and part of life and you're bypassing it in some way. And that's why it's, it's just so important to do that and understand that it's part of this journey. So um, linking back to your book, because you will have your, uh, not your first book, but you will have your book published uh, June 1st for pre-order. Mm. It's going to be available. So I am going to put the link to that um, in the show notes for this episode. But could you um, tell us a bit more about specifically um, your more creative process with this book? And what I mean by that, um, I know that many of the people listening, especially many people in my audience, they come like me from a very corporate and logical background. And so what is so um, like common in that background is that we don't, when we step into projects, it comes from a thought kind of projection of this is what it uh, is going to be useful in some way. And so I'm going to step into this project and it's going to have a, a certain deliverable at the end. Um, <clears throat> whereas when we shift into more like this kind of way of living and being and creating, um, things don't necessarily come from a thought perspective. They come from more like something that starts to beckon us um, mm. into the work. Could you share a bit more about your creative process? How this book came into being? Mm. It's such a, a rich and deep and beautiful question and it, it has a, a big answer. So I'll try to sort of, uh, you know, condense it for you as much as I can. But essentially, as I delved further and further into my own priestess work, the historian in me, my initial degree at university, my undergraduate degree had a major in history and English literature. Uh, the historian in me became absolutely fascinated, almost obsessed, um, truth be told, with the world of the ancient priestess. And I think, Kathleen, that stemmed a great deal from the fact that I often saw women on this path making claims about certain practices or certain things from ancient times that when I would ask where that came from, which is the historian and researcher in me, often I'll, there was no answer that was available to that. And so... I became really determined to seek out factual information that was real and researched about the world of the ancient priestess. 
and in as many different cultures as I could possibly find. And that also then ignited in me a desire to explore my own cultural lineage and heritage. And it was when the two of those things began to come together that things really began to ignite the fire of a book inside me. And I thought to myself, okay, people really need to read this. They need to read factual information about this absolutely fascinating, extraordinary, powerful, inspirational world of collective groups of women and individual women, which make up part of the book. But also, how does that then influence them or how might it influence and inspire them today as a modern priestess? Hence the title of the book, you know, Ancient Spiritual Wisdom for Modern Sacred Women. And so that was really where it, it birthed and began. And truth be told, the creative process, which was probably a little drier, began more with the research. And I had to get help with that, Kathleen. I want to put my hand over my heart and say, I did not research all of this book on my own. I got in a divine feminine scholar to help me with that process, which to me loans weight and depth to the book, which I was so glad to bring in. And it was then through all of that creative findings and inspiration that I was able to unpeel more and more and more through my own journeying as well about what the core of the book is about for modern women today, which is about journeying in and looking at all of those parts of ourselves that, for a simple way of putting it, stand in the way of our power of as a priestess. So looking at things like our jealousies, our fears, our smallness, our sister wounds, um, our disconnection from body, sensuality, sexuality, and what it is that we can do to heal those things and look at those things within ourselves, our connection to the goddess, to earth, to the lunar cycles, our blood mysteries and cycles and how those things can deeply inspire us to become the powerful priestesses that the world needs today. So that was where it started. Um, it's been at times beautiful and easing and flowing. Um, and at other times, it's been very cave-like and challenging <laughs> um, to, to get her to the point where she was fully written. But we got there and I'm so pleased that she's now ready to be birthed into the world. Yeah, it does actually sound to me like this is a book that is going to like rejoice so many women on this path. Because one of the things that I've heard so much over the past weeks as well, as I was talking to women about priestess and what that means in their lives. Um, one of the things that came back often is this kind of like hunger or thirst for understanding what was mm. before. Oh yes, it's and so, so deep. Mm, yeah, it is. And not really, it didn't really feel like there was a thirst for knowing what came before because that could then be copied. It wasn't really that, it's more like, this um, sense of wanting to be grounded or rooted into something that feels very solid. 
So that was what it mostly felt like seeking roots, right? Seeking roots in, into, in something that had been before already. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to read your book actually. <laughs> sound amazing. And like you, I am fascinated also, uh, with, um, I would say for me front and centered, what I've learned to trust most is my own inner wisdom and how things resonate and feel the sense of remembrance and recognition. But at the same time, there is a part of me that really also is fascinated by understanding, you know, the women who came before and um, what that looked like, what were their challenges, um, what was kind of like their focus. So, Absolutely. Um, I'm really Yeah, it's 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 it is very inspiring and I think the way that you you term that Kathleen if I can just say is really really beautiful because ultimately what this path is about is returning to your own soul essence, your own home, your own inner knowing. And there is only ever going to be so much from any lineage or any ancient priestess collective that is going to be able to inspire you directly in that way. You know, there are probably going to be some things, for example, that people will read in this book, not necessarily for everybody, but for some people that may come as a real shock. You know, there were priestesses in certain cultures that undertook ritual human sacrifice, what we today know as murder. In other priestess collectives, like, for example, the Vestal Virgins, the Vestal Priestesses of Rome, you know, they were charged with the, the incredible responsibility of looking after the hearth and home and temple of the goddess Vesta. And if they let that fire go out or it was found out that they lost their virginity through their 30 years of service, it was met with death by live burial. So there were some, there's some practices from ancient times here that when we look at, we can't transfer <laughs> to, to modern life today. They are completely inappropriate and, and not right. But what we learn from looking at this is about the, the power we learn about the extraordinary status that priestesses and, and spiritual women and guides and healers had at that time. Because, of course, the priestess has gone throughout time by many names, not necessarily just priestess, but midwife, healer, witch, banduri, vulva, um, so many different um, versions of her name. Um, it's just fascinating. I could geek out on this, Kathleen. You'll have to stop me. <laughs> but it is, it, you know, we can only draw inspiration from her presence and gifts in that time, actually transferring what she did at that time in, in different things is not possible in this day and age. For some things it is. It's like we think about the priestesses of um, Artemis and their great love of environmentalism and the protection of earth. But yes, there is. there can be direct transferences there in many ways. But for others, it's no. We leave those things in ancient times. Mm -hmm. 
Mm, I love these examples because it really shows that it points to some of the ways I believe in which we have been romanticizing the priestess. Yes. And, um, we, and in, 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 in and of itself, that there's nothing wrong with that. It, it, it just feels like by really digging into what was and looking at all of the different aspects of that and not just choosing the things that feel pretty, like you've really looked at everything, even the things like you say that might maybe shocking. Um, it feels like you're giving more body to how we understand the priestess that came before. And mm -hmm. so it gives us more permission even to sink deeper into that very flesh and bone path of being a priestess in the world and not just seeing as this aspirational kind of archetype um, <clears throat> that we try and, and almost orient ourselves towards without really understanding that it's really fully about being here and being in the world whilst walking a path of spirituality but it has to be kind of more grounded and just not even reading the book but just listening to you talk about it and where it came from it, it feels like it's really giving us that solid ground and that body um, that makes it possible almost to walk with more um, solidity here, here mm. and now. I hope so, Kathleen. Mm. Yeah, I really do hope so because there is no question that there are uh, some out there that when they think of the word priestess or they think of a priestess, you know, visions of waterfalls and flower crowns and um, long flowing dresses and things like that all come to mind. And look, I'm a fan of a flower crown, you know, I, you know, all pretty and I love pretty things. And, you know, that's the beautifier aspect of my priestessing. Um, which is present and there and it's actually one of the great gifts of, the, of many priestesses is about how sensory they are and how beautiful they can make things look, sound, touch, smell, feel, uh, all of which are gateways to our spiritual essence and divine self. But yes, that groundedness is very, very necessary and that's why one of my favourite parts of the book is telling the stories of individual famous priestesses of the past and many of them are battle maidens and warriors. And uh, yeah, like I wouldn't even like to think about, you know, the, the Celtic priestess Boudicca, how many lives met the end of her sword? Uh, thousands, I would suggest, thousands. And yet she was a divine priestess of the goddess Andrust. And Yes. So it's, it's, you know, and I don't think she would have touched a flower crown <laughs> in her life. <laughs> so, um, yeah, groundedness, it's very, very important because as we were talking about before, you know, great priestesses and our work today as sacred spiritual leaders is that it's not possible if we're not grounded and it's not possible to be grounded if we do not see the realities of the world around us. And the reality of the world around us is that, um, um, not everything is, um, is light and love and okay. There are lots of things that are not okay that are calling us to look at those. So what this also reminds me of is um, almost like this energy of Kali, who um, by many people 
I see them like trying to push that aspect away because it's too intense, it's almost offensive, it's focused on destruction before creation. And this is another thing that often feels like um, people on a spiritual path, and I would say specifically more in the beginning stages, when they first discovered that like magic is real and there is so much beauty and feel good energy that is accessible to us. When you then um, tell them like, you know, but Kali is an aspect of that as well, for instance, right? That, that almost like fierceness, um, that is a word that for me is very important in my work. It's like this combination of the gentle and the fierce energies. And so I find that very often that is still something that is, um, that people have some difficulty with and which to me also links more like to the feminine in general um, this idea in that I'm seeing us shift collectively now collectively now but this idea of the feminine as being this weak and soft and gentle and like flowing energy um, and so anger is not allowed and rage you use the word like righteous anger, right? Um, passion, too much passion, it's not allowed. And um, I love that actually by the exploration that you've done, first for yourself, because it was interesting to you, but then also now with the book, um, this exploration that shows actually that all of these components can actually be a part of who we are and how we show up in the world. And then also, mm that um, that actually rage is something that can be beautiful and a very potent part of, of the work that we do in the world. Absolutely, and please may it all be a part of it in some way or another. Now, of course, we can't rage all the time. We know that this is not about doing that all the time, but it's about not bypassing those feelings when they come forth. And so often it's not rage that visits us first. We never actually get to rage or get to righteous mm. anger as women identifying folk because all of the things that come before then, we have been so deeply taught to ignore or suppress welcome to the patriarchy and welcome to what it is that we are expected to do, feel, be and look like as women. And so when we get inklings of dissatisfaction or being a little bit upset about something or having a boundary of ours crossed or pushed or not having boundaries at all um, or being dissatisfied about something, we, we just kind of, push those things away but it's only when we open ourselves up to really looking at thoughts and feelings in those areas that then may trickle through to deeper dissatisfaction standing up for ourselves um, expressing anger or outrage or hurt or being upset or that something is not good enough and then further moving beyond that into seeing it as a catalyst for action and a catalyst for change you know but in many many ways as you were saying before is like we can see carly and we can see that energy and it's like mm, we might flirt with it a little bit or think that it's a bit sexy or dangerous and therefore not for us and we don't allow ourselves many times to fully go there 
but those deepest parts of our shadow self and our where our anger and that darker passion and resistance lies is so often where our deepest you know um, calling is is actually in there in so many ways or if not our deepest calling then a greater higher more rich robust version of that calling that we may already know exists mm -hmm. is this something that you've seen yourself on your own personal processing path like this i usually call this the descent and you can <laughs> feel like that dark cave that is beckoning you right Hmm. How how has that influenced your work and make it made it even more like richer? I would say. Hmm. Well, I think we go in. Well, certainly, I've had experiences of you know going into those darker times and caves uh, more than once. And when I say that, it doesn't necessarily mean that you enter into a deep depression and mm -hmm. you know just take yourself away from life. Um, although that, of course, can sometimes be what happens to some people. And, you know, I don't mean to minimise that in any way. But one of the experiences that, that comes to mind for me, Kathleen, is that when I first started out on the priestess path and I was very passionately interested in exploring deeper the world of the goddess. And I still absolutely love that world and, and love connecting with the goddess energies um, so very much. Um, I have a little bit of a theory that, and it's just a personal theory, it's not grounded in anything, but that when we initially start exploring that world to ourselves, that the goddess is a little bit of a trickster in some ways and that she will come to us first uh, in ways that are divinely beautiful and loving and soft and gorgeous and we'll just think the world of her and ourselves. And that's exactly what happened to me in that space. You know, the, when I first began connecting with the goddess, it was the goddesses of love and beauty, Aphrodite, Freya, Venus, who really came into my orbit very strongly. And they were a perfect match for me in those early stages of my priestess path because I was completely enamoured with their desire to help me see my own beauty as a woman, to lusciously surround myself with beauty, to treat myself well, to the candles, the oils, the baths, the, you know, how can I be more of a womanly, feminine essence and presence in the world? And I lapped it all up. It was divine. And then slowly what began to happen is that as I really came into loving myself deeper in those beautiful parts, they began to soften and disappear. And I began to have dreams at night of this dark figure that kept coming to me. And I can see you smiling and nodding. And I'm not a prolific dreamer. It's not something I don't have that gift of um, oracle at night that I know some priestesses do but this figure kept returning to me over and over again I knew it was a woman but I couldn't distinguish exactly who she was 
And Kathleen, after months and months and months of dreaming of her on and off almost every night, I started to get really, to be frank, really pissed off. I was like, why do you keep coming to me? You are actually frightening me. At times I'm waking up in a bit of a sweat. You never say anything. You never do anything. You never tell me anything. You never show me anything. And yet you are there and I'm sick of you and I want you to be out. And so finally I got the message and I woke up one morning and I completely stripped back my entire altar. All the pink, all the gold, all the luxury, all the Aphrodite, all the Freya, it all went. And I wept as I pulled it all down because it was so beautiful. I was like, okay, something's happening here. And I stripped every single back, all of it back, and I put one candle on it and I lit it. And I said, okay, enough. Show me what you've got. And that very night, she came to me, clearer this time, still not fully sure who she was. And she said, oh, so you're finally ready. I'm here. Now the real work begins. Mm. And I woke the following day and felt this combination of completely unsettled, sad, angry, pissed off, um, I was not a very pleasant person to be around that day. And all I knew was that I needed to be by myself. I needed to pick up my journal and I needed to start writing. And when I did, I just couldn't stop. And all of this stuff just poured out of me around the fact that I was claiming this path as a priestess, but I had so many things that were starved of my own attention. I had a relationship with a sister that was falling apart because of my own comparison-nitis with her. Um, I had issues around sovereignty and neediness that I was not looking at. I was too disconnected from the great mother. I was spending too much time attached to a laptop, not outside. I'd lost the little farm country girl that I'd grown up with. And yet here I was talking about being this great reflection of Mother Earth and I was not living it. Basically, it was a complete stripping back. Was it Kalima? Was it Keridwen? Was it Hecate? Who was it? I don't know, but it was the dark goddess. And she, that archetype, she as a great figure was finally with me. And Kathleen, that's when the real work began. And that's when I had to go in. That's when I had to do a lot of healing, a lot of work. And so much of that journey has been hard and it has been difficult, but it's also been joyous and wonderful and so worth it. I now realise that I am on a lifelong path of healing, particularly in relation to sovereignty. Um, all my life since a little girl, and it, it stems from you know childhood wounds of being abandoned by my father as a child, I have issues around neediness and praise and, and sovereignty. And it's something that I'm not afraid to admit now that me learning to walk through the world, knowing that I must be my own greatest champion, lover, friend, confidant, 
and more is my greatest work. And the more that I can do that for myself, the greater I'll be able to hold conditions of others for others to do the same. And so I know that was a very long answer, but that, you know, that that is the journey of the priestess. It's the inner work that is most important. And I'm not in that dark goddess time as much as I was, but boy, now do I have deep love and respect for her. And if she ever does come to me at night, which seems to be her favourite place to visit me, and she has visited considerably one more time since then, um, I'm not afraid anymore and I will never, ever push her away. I will go, oh, okay, you're here for some more work. Hello, sister, let's do this. <laughs> I had chills whilst you were um, explaining that. I think your story and the way that you pull the healing together for yourself within that story is such a beautiful testimonial to, um, you know, my experience as well of the priestess path with um, different aspects of that energy coming in and really... I would say that with the priestess, there is almost often like this expectation when they show up. They show up with a specific expectation towards us. And we have to at one point say, yes, I will accept your invitation. And I will go with you wherever you want to lead me and allow that process to completely transform me no matter how intense at times it really feels mm -hmm. and so I love really for me I love talking about the dark goddess because again I think this is one of the aspects that many people still shy away from and having um, testimonials about the necessity almost of inviting in that energy or of accepting the invitation that comes from her specifically because in most of the people who I hear talking about their experience with the dark goddess, it's always about she invites us, she mm. takes that initiative. And then we can try and push it away. We can hesitate and it drags on like your story about the fact that she shows up constantly in your dreams. Yeah. She yes. doesn't stop. <laughs> no, doesn't she was not. Yet. She was not ever going to let go. And it was no. only when I went, okay, okay, finally. And I think, and it's exactly the same as any kind of shadow work, Kathleen, whether it comes through a goddess or not. If you have something in your life that requires your attention and addressment, especially if it doesn't feel that good, it is not going to go away. It will keep coming back to you in some form or another again and again and again until you address it. Yeah. And I think this is something that I want to share as well with anyone listening who is still new to this path or this word, the priestess is beckoning, but not quite sure um, how to move forward with that. It's important that we realize that this is not just some kind of thing that we're going to be stepping into just for a couple of months it's actually really a journey and it's going to as you said before also it's a journey that we step onto and suddenly we realize that it's not about doing some healing and then we're there as it were it's more like this constant like evolution 
And it's yeah. something that continues throughout our lives and is in fact something that we can come to appreciate because it's so potent and beautiful and rich because um, it's not about looking at your flaws and trying to kind of erase them from your personality. It's more like no. going into that, excavating. I often use the language, especially around shadow work as well. Like we go into that dark cave, we are being invited into it and it feels intense and not, often not very pleasant. But at the same time, at one point, we're going to find the gem within that. And it's like we're excavating, we're in a process of excavating something that looks like shadow or a character flaw maybe within us. But it's really also um, the, the growing grounds for us as people and as women to emerge with more like depth and richness and personality presence, um, uh, a kind of gift that we bring, not just to ourselves, but also to others. Like you say, it helps us become even more skilled in understanding even how to hold presence for others. Yes, absolutely. Because one of the things that I have most definitely learned from many more experienced, gifted and older priestesses than I, and that is that and this really circles beautifully back to what we were talking about right at the top of the uh, interview today, Kathleen, and that is about stillness and the fact that the priestess is a channel of empty presence um, because it's not possible to support people to open up to their own divinity if in holding space with them you are worried about what you look like or what they're thinking about you or are you getting it right? Or is it time yet? Or what, what is she thinking about what we're doing now? Or this is a, that is not empty presence. That is not stillness. And when those thoughts are normal and human and all of those things, and we have them at varying different times, but until we learn to really integrate our ego and love it and heal it and that the shadow and the light and, and bring all of those things together in such a way that we can be with people and we are emptied of those fears. We're emptied of those thoughts in that time and in that space that we're with them, then we're not being the magnificent space holders that we truly can be. Mm -hmm. And I just want to qualify that by saying, when I mean magnificent, I really do mean magnificent and therefore this is a life path and life work. <laughs> you don't become a truly healing, deep, magnificent space holder overnight, not even in months or years. It's something that takes a very, very long time and that's why this path of the priestess is one for life. You know, one of the things that I say in the book is that you don't kind of put on a flower crown and step into a sacred circle one day and then whip it and you're a priestess and then whip it off the next and you're not. You know, that's not how this works. If this is the path for you, if this is a calling, if this is a spiritual way of life that you know you need to undertake in your form as a human being, in your lifetime, it's something you step onto for life. Yeah, and um, 
what I want to reflect back to you about that is this word calling, right? It is again, not a mental kind of thing. And maybe at first it is, the word has some potency for you, it has resonance and you start to explore it. But then beyond that, it, it isn't a mental choice that you're making. It is really something that you feel within your being. So um, this is something that I uh, want to end with. Um, let me check. Because I have written down so many questions for you. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what is the big dream for you with this book, if there is a dream? Oh, what a beautiful question. Do you know, I'm just going to go with my heart and the first thing that comes to mind, because I've never actually really thought about this, to tell you the truth, but my big dream, I think it's twofold, is first of all, for any woman reading it that thinks that she may wish to explore this calling for herself, believes that she is worthy to do that mm. and that this book will help her to uncover that worthiness. And that secondly, for any woman who is already on the path or just starting out, or maybe that woman that is trying to work with her worthiness to see whether this is the right path for her, that above all else, that the book helps her to understand that the path of the priestess, firstly, foremostly, and lastly, is about going within. Mm. It is not what you look like. It is not what, how many people you gather. It is not the success of your circles or business or your crystal healing or any of those divine, beautiful things that you do. It is actually about your commitment to the inner work and healing because one more healed and whole woman on that path in the world is one greater step that we have towards collective transformation and change, which the world is crying out and our planet is crying out for so deeply. But we don't do that without first looking at our own healing and our own needs within. Mm, that is so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dream. That's my dream is to see the worthiness and then go in. Yes. That's it. And it feels like such a healing message to bring um, because, you know, there's so much that we haven't explored about this, but so this path is about trust and it's also very much about, like you say, worthiness. Can I claim this title of the priestess for myself? Do I even deserve to do that? Or do I need, and then there's the mental chatter that starts, do I need first to train for, I don't know, how many years? Do I need any formal ways of looking like a priestess? There are so many concerns that women have when they feel actually really deeply drawn to the word uh, priestess. So I am really looking forward to reading your book. Um, thank you. Yes, and thank, thank you so much for sharing with us more about how it came into your life, what it started from, and also just your beautiful, beautiful big dream about this work. Thank mm. you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me, sister. Thank you, Kathleen, and, and thank you to everyone for listening. Um, it's been a really rich and beautiful conversation. I've loved it. 
Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. We'd love to hear from you. So please come over to our Instagram page and let us know what piece really landed for you. All of our voices are welcome and all of our voices add to this rich weaving of something new, something that can heal and empower us all. Now, before you go, if you feel yourself respond in a deep, deep way to the priestess, then I know that you will so enjoy the beautiful energies of the seven powerful feminine archetypes that have channeled through in my work. Simply go to kathleensalens.com forward slash quiz and you'll receive a powerful transmission from your personal mentor archetype with insights into the gifts and medicine that you uniquely carry and your challenges as you bring your impact and beautiful feminine leadership to the world. Enjoy and see you in our next episode of the Sovereign Sessions. Two.